Welcome to Sungha and Raz's Nutrition Perspectives. Come along with us as we explore diversity in dietetics. Welcome everyone uh, to this special episode. Uh, my name is Sungha, one of your hosts, and I've got a really special guest with me today, and I'm really glad that she's able to come here to talk um, about our culture today. So my name is Cherry. Um, I'm a, I work as a community dietitian in London. Um, and in terms of my background, so I was originally born in Hong Kong, um, and my family basically moved to England um, when I was pretty young. So I started uh, primary school um, in England, and I've basically grown up uh, in England ever since. So yeah, so yeah, lovely to be here today. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think um, how we met anyways, I was very shocked to see because um, we we work in the same place yes. um, that oh my gosh there's another Chinese dietitian here this is so rare in the in the dietitian community um, and I just thought wow yeah you know I never thought I'd come across it um, but I'm really yeah. glad I did because it does feel like like an older me in a sense <laughs> oh, thank you somehow I think likewise actually I think likewise um you know we we obviously spoke um at work and things like that and I think um to be fair when I saw you I think I had the same feedback to you it's like oh my goodness I have never like or hardly actually to be honest that's a lie I have come across Chinese dietitians before but it's very you know um very rare that you really come across um yeah Chinese dietitian really especially in England and I and I don't I'm not too sure why that is really um but it's just you know it was just lovely to kind of see someone yeah someone on kind of in the in the same department and you know because obviously we have cultural similarities um as well and similar background and it's it's quite nice to be able to kind of chat and share that as well so yeah it was a mm-hmm. very, very pleasant surprise <laughs> you know it's had such a huge reaction for us um yeah. seeing someone else of a similar ethnic background yeah. just goes to show that we're not quite there yet in yeah, you know getting more of a diverse uh, mm. culture in our field um, so I think it was nice to see someone from Hong Kong um, mm. and we have lots of similarities and uh, you know our cultures mm. and not bringing because I think like you said uh, you've been from you've pretty much been brought up in the UK haven't you yeah. um, to, to myself I mean I was born in the UK mm-hmm. uh, which is slightly a bit different but we've had that you know ongoing exposure since childhood in England um, so it's nice to, to see that we kind of went through a similar route there mm. uh, I think one of um, the questions that we do like to ask mm. our guests um, and in particularly around the theme of of ourselves and uh, in particularly yourself um, is talking about our lived experiences as a dietitian or even going back as you know as a student studying for it uh, some of the challenges or positive that might have arisen because of you know our culture or our particular mm. background and I'm just wondering if you've spotted anything in particular or anything you'd like to share patient wise or you sure. know even of a personal note um, how you found that journey. Sure um, so I think I mean thinking back um, you know one of the first thing was you know when you decide the degree you go on to um, and at that point it's kind of then you know if you you know, when you tell your parents, you know, what direction in terms of career path that you're heading. And I think, <clears throat> I mean, I think the, the first thing was um, 
kind of explaining uh, to my parents what the di- what dietitians are and what they do. I mean, um, they know obviously in Hong Kong, you know, dietitians exist already, um, but I think it's it's quite different actually in terms of Hong Kong. Basically, in Hong Kong, um, the impression that I get is that you know, dietitian and nutritionist, um, you know, those terminologies are often used quite interchangeably. So there isn't necessarily uh, um, people don't necessarily know the distinction between the two. Um, and I think the first challenge was kind of really explaining to my parents. I mean, bearing in mind that I, I was kind of going into um, a degree that I probably didn't quite fully understood the differences. Really, um, maybe that's that's my part as well. Um, but trying to kind of explain it to my parents, um, that was quite difficult. And um, and I think yeah, I think that was kind of the, one of the biggest challenges really just trying to think in terms of afterwards like in terms of in practice as a dietitian I don't think I mean challenges I don't think I had too much of a challenge really um as a Chinese dietitian I think um more so probably um it was beneficial in the sense that you know I do find it you know there is a bit more easier to understand in terms of the patients from you know ethnic backgrounds in terms of the some of the challenges in terms of the dietary side of things um in terms of adapting their diet to what's available in England you know and the cultural diets that side of things so I can I can sort of associate that because you know my parents are of an older generation so they've obviously you know I I grew up with a pretty much English diet right um and and obviously including some of the uh, Chinese food that's cooked at home but my parents diet probably had to change quite a lot more you know in comparison to me um so it's just kind of recognizing that and so I think actually it's been quite beneficial to have that background and to be able to kind of associate that with um patients of ethnic backgrounds so yeah I think I think that's more of a positive really yeah um mm. I don't know about you somehow like what kind of what whether you had any along the way as well um I mean as you said I think I definitely find that it's more justifying <laughs> my choice of career to mm. my parents um as you probably aware it's oh, not yeah. a very well-known career choice uh, given the Chinese culture is yeah. very much in a view that you'd go on to um, you know becoming more of a lawyer or a doctor oh, yes. or yeah. that is viewed as prestigious and which is a very old mind of mm. thinking but yeah. given you know, my parents you know they they have not even graduated you know yeah. primary school yeah um, and a lot of how they were educated or what's been told that yeah. is good um, it has been very traditional viewed um, and coming to England I think um, I think they probably would have liked of course their children to be successful in that yeah. sense and how they see success is you know a, a great career with great um, salary you know yeah. very stereotypical views and I think this this choice of career has been very different mm. and they didn't really see it on the same par and that's been a little bit difficult to explain and particularly for my extended family um having to kind of explain it's not a nutritionist quite I mean yes you can be a nutritionist um you know you qualify uh it's a protected title here to you know then work for the NHS and uh in a more clinical setting from a Chinese point of view the I guess nutrition is very how do you put it a little bit more experimental, yeah. um, less kind of evidence-based. I, I'm just trying yeah. to think of like 
examples, even like herbal medicines. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, to be fair, I don't know a lot about it, um, no. but it, you, you're definitely not taught this at university yeah. <laughs> in terms of herbal medicine. Um, so it's definitely a very interesting approach because my parents are very used to Chinese medicine yeah, and having to kind of uh, tell them that, oh, you know, I'm doing this because of, you know, the science behind this. Yeah. Uh, and it's sometimes a little bit hard to communicate. So sure. there's definitely that barrier there for myself. Yeah. Um, but as you already said, you know, positives comes with, you know, actually seeing another, you know, Chinese patient or, or mm. uh, an Asian background, you kind of relate in a sense, not knowing fully what yeah. they eat, but uh, the difficulties in, in having to get an accurate picture yeah. um, of what's, what they eat and also the the advice you give them tailored to mm. their background it, it, i understand the challenges mm. for that yeah definitely. Um, um there's definitely a positive yeah. um how was like your colleagues like in terms of like being interested or perceived mm. or have you had any sort of experiences where they might have made a comment about um you know chinese culture um, uh everything you are from an asian background I think um, no, actually, I think I think to be honest, it's it's quite a sensitive thing when you talk about, I suppose, ethnicity and things, isn't it? Because um, you could, depending on how you are, um, some people might take it the wrong way. Potentially, if you kind of made a comment on someone like, oh, you know, your ethnicity, right? Um, and I think the thing is, it's really it's quite interesting because I don't think, thinking back, I don't think really people asked about um, in terms of Chinese foods or like the, you know, how what's the uh, sort of pe people's lifestyle, you know, the Chinese lifestyle, what it's like, because I think there is a part where I suppose it goes back down to diversity as well, because the areas, I suppose, where I worked, um, there isn't really um, that much of a population of, you know, Chinese um, population there. And I suppose that's, that's obviously the nature of the location, but also, um, you know, then that also means that the dietitians or colleagues there might not necessarily think about um, sort of expanding their knowledge around the Chinese culture or lifestyle um, because there is a need to to necessarily understand that. Um, you know, obviously, some people, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, recently it's been Chinese New Year, um, you know, some people have shown an interest in it. Um, and, um, and that's when, you know, you can talk a little bit more about, you know, what we do. I mean, I've got to say, I don't know everything we do because I'm not I, I wouldn't thought, you know say to say to people that I'm traditional Chinese because I don't just don't know enough to say that um, but the typical um, you know common cultural things that we do in Chinese New Year um, we still do it um, and and that's when you get a chance to share with your colleagues of what other sort of cultural foods the celebration foods that we have and the meaning behind it there's there's a lot of that um, so, so actually Chinese New Year is a good time to start a conversation about it if people are interested um but otherwise there isn't that much of an opportunity to talk about it and, and naturally you know when you go into work you wouldn't necessarily bring up the topic of Chinese foods or you know otherwise you know in any other sort of circumstance yeah I mean definitely you don't just kind of open up like let me just talk about <laughs> Chinese food at the moment yeah. <laughs> um but yeah no definitely finding that opener and I think Chinese New Year, happy Chinese New Year, yeah. by the way, Cherry, <laughs> is, uh, is an interesting one. Um, 
Yeah, no, so definitely uh, that's an opener. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a really great thing that we could share as well. And in fact, it's a little bit different. Growing up, you kind of just know that you do this as a family. Mm. But it's actually really lovely to be able to share. And, and I feel like there's definitely a lot of people that would be interested in knowing a bit more about yeah. it. Uh, so I feel like people should be, um, I guess, feel less scared in, in sharing it. Yeah. Um, if that is. Mm. Um, but in terms of like, even just, um, I, I was just saying to you earlier about uh, our names being a little bit different. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's quite common mm. uh, for people coming over, um, or at least born here of a Chinese descent, to have a, an English type name. Yeah. Um, or it's mine, sometimes it's a little bit strange to people that they're still uh, struggling mm. really to, to pronounce my name, Sungha. Yeah. And I didn't feel like it's a massively difficult name to pronounce whilst people are still struggling. Yeah. I just distinctly remember that uh, my name in particular, um, uh, a ward staff, and particularly mm. the, uh, the, the head nurse there, had really struggled on the wards to pronounce it. Mm. And for some reason, they they had literally just changed it and, and just called me the dietitian lady oh. because she just struggled massively oh, to, no. to say my And there was a, a HCA, I think, yeah. at some point also mentioned like, oh, you know, oh, gosh, yeah, you know, that's quite a, an interesting one. Can yeah. I just call you Sue? Oh, and you're like, oh, wow, um, <laughs> a completely a different. different name. <laughs> different, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of get like, maybe that's why people just change their names completely yeah. to something much more accessible much more easier to pronounce sure. as a just a matter of ease yeah. but I sort of feel like you do lose a little bit of yourself mm. when you kind of change it out yeah. I don't know what your experience is yeah. given um, our names are a little bit different sure because I think um I, I do I do actually um agree you know when you say you change your name um, it's almost losing a little bit of that identity of yourself, isn't it, really? You know, my name is obviously more, more I can't even say more English. Like, I mean, Cherry is not quite a English, uh, a typical English name. I mean, it's an English word, but for sure. Um, and it's easy to pronounce. I mean, basically, my name is actually very simple. So it actually was, it took very, very quickly for my parents to name me. So, yeah, so I do get asked um, on the phone over that, you know, oh, that's interesting um, name. Like, where where are you from? <laughs> a booking for a restaurant right so I left my name obviously when I rang the guy um you know to book for six people you know and um and the name is Cherry um and he was like oh okay that's a, that's a nice name and I was like oh thank you and he, he said oh so what's your last name then strawberry and I was like oh my god I was like yeah so I was just like but I, I kind of I could have easily been offended um uh, because clearly because I told um you know I told my other half afterwards and he was like uh, maybe he just thought that you used a fake name <laughs> to book and I was like oh gosh maybe <laughs> but um but yeah it's just it's it's just funny kind of how names work really um that's kind of how yeah. mine came around really I think it goes to show it's like kind of like remnants of what the thinking was of our parents at that time yeah. well actually my parents themselves for my name actually came from my dad uh, in a dream oh, and it's actually a unisex name and you know it could it could be applied to a male oh, as well um, but I came yeah I came out um, and it was um, you know Songha and you know they, I think 
they didn't even have it in them to think of an English name because their English was not great sure. at the time. And I think it was my uncle that tried to translate it back to English pronunciation. Um, and if anyone has seen my name, it's it's pronounced um, Sungha, yes, but the actual lettering of it um, is set with S-O-E-N-G-H-A, which trips people up yeah. a lot when they're trying to pronounce it. Um, and from what I've been told anyway, it's an error on my uncle's part, <laughs> translating it over because he wasn't that great at English. So it does trickle down a little bit, not for everyone's names, but for mine in particular, it has been quite an interesting sure. story. And I've just been stuck with it, I suppose. And, you know, I've learned to, you know, love that it is mm. unique. And um, I think when I do pronounce it, people say it's a lovely yeah. name. And, you know, I hope it does come across that yeah. way as well. Um, but in particular, when I'm doing telephone consultations mm. with my with my mm. patients, you know, they don't normally get it from my accent that, I'm of a Chinese of descent. Um, and it's only when I say, oh, my name is mm. Sungha, uh, or I'm spelling it out to the nurses, sure. for example, and they're like, oh, and then it triggers sure. a conversation sometimes of like, oh, gosh, where yeah. are you from? You know, um, and it's nice that they're curious about it and like, you know, <laughs> there's a bit of variety yeah. to people calling yeah. up. <laughs> um, so which is really yeah. nice. I've mentioned yeah. this to you before, but... Um, because we are mainly doing telephone consultations, yeah. uh, they normally don't know mm. what you look like. Uh, they don't. They don't see your body size. They don't see your race. Um, and usually, they just tell by my name, like kind of sure. guess where it's from. And if you say you're Chinese, we're in a weight management sure. clinic, and 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 I say, oh yeah, you know, I'm Chinese, and they're like, oh, you know, oh, you must be really yeah. thin then, and you know. I'm not sure if you, you know, understand fully uh, what I'm going through um, because you guys are just naturally mm. thin. Supposedly mm. a compliment to you. You know, I'm not saying I'm like, you know, overweight yeah. or anything. Uh, I'm not stick thin mm. either. Um, but I think I have quite a stereotypical view of what Chinese sizing sure. is. And also it doesn't help sometimes. It kind of puts you at a disadvantage yeah. there because they already have a preconceived course, idea yeah. it makes it a little bit uh harder I suppose to kind of build mm -hmm. that rapport it... uh, I don't know if you've had similar <laughs> similar uh, examples yeah, sure. there. I think um actually I was gonna say because it's, it's pretty much like it's already um essentially an, a barrier isn't it between you and the patients you almost break down because um they've already got a preconception of your understanding because of your um ethnicity right um and I think Similar, mm. actually, um, it, it it has definitely happened in the past. I think to be honest, both of us are, are like pretty healthy, you know, weight, BMI, etc. And I think you know, even in face to face clinics, um, I've had patients in the past before, not not often, but where they come in, um, and obviously again like obese patients, um, and they will they've made comments, you know, in front of me to say, is that you guys, you know, genetically, you know. Chinese people are always like really slim and um and is it you know it's just in terms of in your or genetics um type of thing and um some of them don't necessarily say it in a, in a bad way but there is that feeling of you know you probably don't understand necessarily what I'm going through and the challenges and so your your consultation then actually doesn't 
you don't even necessarily talk about the diet side of things at the beginning. You end up trying to break down that barrier and the preconception around it um, and kind of, you know, that understanding just so that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the, the case, really. It is not the case. Definitely there is that ethnic side of things of being Chinese colleagues who are slimmer, like, you know, when they have a face-to-face clinic and things like that. Um, I'm sure some dietitians have also had the similar sort of barrier um, maybe not necessarily related to ethnicity, but related to, you know, them seeing the dietitian being mm-hmm. slim, you know, it's kind of like, well, how would they know what to advise me? You know, that sort of thing. It broaches a new topic, doesn't it, in terms of like, what size should a dietitian be, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, give mm-hmm. advice, I suppose. Definitely, there is a preconception mm-hmm. for dietitians, obviously, yeah. to be slim, the added level of like, because of your ethnicity, you're already categorized yeah. in that uh, in that sense. I mean, in terms of coming to these sort of patients, I mean, how would you go about to kind of get that report back? I mean, I guess I guess um, you could share kind of how you've done it, but um, I think it's kind of breaking down the categories of their preconception, where that's come from first, and kind of explaining to them, you know, even the most basic of the science of about weight gain um, and weight loss, that side of things. Um, obviously, um, you know, bearing in mind that Chinese Asians, you know, um, naturally, yes, there is an element of, because I think, I think, sorry, I forgot to add was that, you know, there is also, um, you know, patients have commented to me that they assume that our diet is very, very, as in, as in Chinese people diet is very, very healthy. <laughs> um, but which is actually uh, quite far from the case, um, which we'll go on to, and I, I guess later on in terms of the actual detail of the diet, really, um, it can be it can be healthy. I mean, like any culture, uh, I think foods can be made very healthy, but very, but similarly, it can be very unhealthy as well, um, depending on just how people prepare it and cook it, you know, the dish, etc. Um, but I do think that sometimes it can give a bit of a wrong impression in terms of being Chinese and Asian, the body shape is quite different, you know, in terms of the actual size, um, quite, uh, quite, we, I mean, I can't say me and you somehow because we, we, we're not quite the average, um, average size or height of your sort of Chinese person, especially Chinese female, uh, where we, you know, we're quite a bit more tall in comparison, you know, um, but if, you know, the typical sort of Chinese shape and sizes are smaller, is a bit more petite, um and I suppose you know there is that part that can give the impression that you know they are slimmer built um but there is also the hidden side of things where um you know it touches onto the topic of culturally in terms of what people are striving for so you know I I know that um in Hong Kong you know there there is also a culture of you know people to be slim so people kind of make the make the effort um to be that to be that way if that makes sense um and you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean that actually that you don't get patients who are obese. You do as well, you know, in Hong Kong. Um, but people don't, might not necessarily know that if they kind of just have an assumption that, you know, overall Chinese people are slim and they eat very healthily. So it's kind of just breaking down that the reality a little bit more um, and gets yeah. the understanding. Mm. Um, and obviously talking about, you know, the weight gain um, and weight loss journey, et cetera, as well. So. I think, I mean, that's kind of how I try to tackle it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly what you said. I mean, breaking down those um, those preconceived ideas. Um, and definitely, as you said, like, whilst there's a bit of a genetic mm. component to us being of a smaller size, um, 
there is a standard of beauty in Hong Kong and in Asia, I suppose, as well, to Mm. be that size. And you are very much like discriminated, even if um, even in light comments um, from, you know, parents just to say, oh, gosh, you know, you've gotten fat again. You know, they're very, you know, from my relatives anyway, it's a very straightforward instead of telling you that um and it kind of forces you having mm-hmm. to fit this model I suppose of beauty um and yeah definitely not you know an uncommon thing throughout the world in terms of fitting yeah. a standard of beauty but uh definitely for Asia you are it's still considered uh beautiful to be very yeah. slim to be pale yes. slim um and yeah, pretty much our standards of beauty. So there is that expectation yeah. there. Um, and you know, if if perhaps it wasn't there, maybe we'll be a bit more yeah. tan. Maybe we'll be a bit more of a bigger size. Not to say that's a healthier thing either, but uh, there might might be a bit more of a variation. Sure. Um, but of course, supposedly in a consultation, you might yeah, not go into so much right. detail over the explaining sure. standards of beauty. Um, but yeah, you would go yeah, through yeah. obviously the science behind weight gain. Um, as we would um, and try and tackle where perhaps just focusing on their sort of um, problems really or how we can tackle yeah. their journey in weight loss rather than like you know, focusing on the yeah. of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and I think um, sort of just more moving on to you know, uh, just appreciate time is ticking yeah. I know we can chat for ages. Oh, yes. um, there is a question of you know, perhaps mm. for our colleagues, um, also for anyone around us as well, people in general uh, of non-diverse yeah. backgrounds or perhaps non-Chinese in this case, um, what would you like them to know? Or, you know, how how can we kind of create a more of an accepting environment or you feel less out of place yeah. if you do so? I guess, like, I, I suppose one of the things that um, I have heard in terms of feedback from people, I suppose this is obviously, you know, um, you know, my parents will have friends who are Chinese, etc. And I think um, this is, I suppose, not just dietetics, but in healthcare, in terms of um, what I he- hear a lot um, is probably the language barrier um, can play a, quite a huge part in terms of consultations. So, um, you know, certainly I know that, you know, for or particularly my parents, you know, if, um, if there was any sort of complicated, um, you know, appointment with consultants or doctors, um, they have that language barrier that they may, they won't be able to understand fully. And I do, you know, I think just from listening to their friends' feedback, you know, if they don't have a next of kin that necessarily is able to facilitate or translate for them when they're having a consultation, um, they don't necessarily have access or, or it's been offered to them of an interpreter. And that in itself is already quite a big barrier, uh, you know, to, in terms of patients understanding, um, in terms of, I suppose, from dietetic side, you know, dietary changes, that advice giving, um, that sort of explaining um, of diagnosis and things like that, you know, all of that makes it very difficult. Um, so I think one of the things is just really making sure that uh, that language barrier, if it exists, it's kind of tackled um, and, the, and the patients actually have that access to interpreting services. Um, and also, I suppose another thing to be aware of is some of the changes of, well, not changes, actually, some of the changes or adapted changes of a Chinese cultural diet. Um, I mean, obviously, I grew up here. So my diet is, you know, my baseline diet is already very different from your normal Chinese diet. Um, but 
you know, but typically, I suppose, um, how how we eat, I suppose, in England is compared to, let's say, Hong Kong diet is quite different. So um, just have the awareness of in the morning, obviously, it's a bit adaptive. So in the morning, we'll usually have something that's a bit more English, like whether it's cereal or toast, you know, that sort of diet. Um, lunchtime and evening meal often, um, I mean, it, it does depend on the individual Chinese, but um, often it may be like a cooked meal, like with rice, with some vegetables, you know, with some um, meat and things like that. So um, that sort of cooked meal is like lunch and evening often. I mean, a bit more westernized diet will be like lunchtime might just be like your sandwiches or jack potato. It could be that as well, M much more of an English diet. But, um, but likewise, it can be quite a cooked meal, like a Chinese food meal. Um, and then, I mean, one of the things to be also kind of aware is, um, you know, I mean, just kind of going back from experience, like, you know, my, my dad, um, you know, if there was a time where um, he needed to, basically he needed to put up quite a bit of weight on because he had lost a lot of weight due to illness and things. And um, and actually, you know, the food fortification that advice that we give can be quite difficult to follow. Because, uh, you know, with Chinese food, you might not necessarily use milk or cheese or even cream and things like that very much and when you have to adapt that to your diet it's it it, it, it doesn't always work uh, and that can be quite very challenging um because it's just something that they don't necessarily have on a regular basis and to be able to take on that advice it can be quite challenging um and even things like um you know little and often or snacks it's you know high calorie snacks etc it's that again is also quite can be quite difficult because again this can change between individuals but um personally what I find like is you know my parents they don't necessarily have that routine of having snacks in between meals you know often is that they have their three meals a day um rarely if they need to mid-afternoon they may have um they may have a slice of cake or pastry but very much not you know they're not used to having you know multiple snacks throughout the day that's not kind of their routine so having to do that can be quite challenging um so it's just kind of having that awareness of um their routine but but I suppose that also brings to the point of um a little bit of a broader point really is I suppose every patient's routine might be different might differ anyway I mean this is this is what I can say about dad but you know um but bearing in mind that I guess the main point is really to to say like there isn't necessarily a assumption that you can make on a Chinese diet, um, particularly when in, in, in England, because they've had to change and adapt their diet according to, you know, the food, et cetera, here. Um, so, so it can't be, you know, although, like I said, lunchtime and evening, some people might have your standard cooked um, Chinese food. Um, other people might not have. And other Chinese who is a bit more um, blended into the uh, Western diet might not even have any Chinese food uh, at all. Um, throughout the day so it might be for an occasion for them so that can be that can be very different yeah so I think that's kind of in terms of awareness I'm, I think that might be kind of what I think yeah would be useful really what you think mm. yeah yeah no I think definitely as you said there is having that awareness um, not typing people with certain you know behaviors but being aware that these might be things you might want to be a little bit considerate about yeah. I mean out of curiosity you know whilst we're on the topic of 
food. Um, how did did you manage to help dad get a bit of weight back on? Um, you know, in terms of techniques or you know what what sort of ways? It, it was you... difficult. It was very difficult. Actually, I'm not going to lie about that. Um, mm. It was very difficult because mm. um, he also had a very small appetite, um, and. I don't think we necessarily got his weight up, up, but at least we maintained it. And obviously, as he recovered, you know, his appetite picked back up and, you know, his portion size and things like that picked back up. So he was, yeah, so over time, he did manage to put back on the weight, but originally it was, it was difficult. Um, and, and like I said, you know, when, you know, coming from a dietitian background, you think that, you know, because you know the food first advice, you know, that, 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 that could be, you know, you could implement it. Um, but it's just, I remember actually, that brings me on to one of the things that I did try out um, a, a while back. Um, this was, I'm trying to remember when, but I was trying to make like some uh, some blender soup, right? Um, and, but a fortified blender soup, like with chicken, with some, it was very fortified, like, like, it had, like lentils, beans, chicken and cream and butter, everything in. And I made it, oh my God, it tastes absolutely horrific. It was like, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I thought it would be palatable, but when you try and fortify it too much with everything put into that, it was, yeah. It, I mean, I could calculate how much calories was definitely in there. Um, but reality mm -hmm. was you were never going to drink that mm -hmm. whole bowl of um, soup or even probably just manage a food spoonful because it was just so dense. Because um, one of the things, mm -hmm. obviously, that Chinese people can have is like soup, right? Soup noodles and things like that. Um, essentially, it's very difficult to actually also fortify um, a soup noodle as well when you think about it because it's not like a thick soup that you can have where you you know an English proper thick soup that you home homemade that you can fortify whereas because the Chinese soup noodle is like the soup is much more runnier it's not got too much of substance I mean you can add obviously oil etc mm. in it um, but you can't do too much of it otherwise it, it becomes quite you know it starts to affect the palatability of, of the actual food yeah so mm. no so, so we we managed it but that definitely it wasn't um I really struggled with the food first really trying to implement that for him um but yeah but you mm. know luckily like you know he recovered like slowly with the appetite and everything so um he, his portions are naturally increased so yeah he, he was much better goes to show doesn't it like you can't always apply those food first principles yeah. to all the foods um definitely the palatability is going to be key yeah. isn't it if you're not gonna have it those are empty calories at the end of the day you're yeah. not going to be taking them in at all um and in in terms of like you know chinese food it is difficult mm. to use the buttercreams and oils um, and probably we're just being trying to increase the portions yeah. as much as we can of the foods that they're familiar with. Um, I mean, I know my dad, um, luckily he's got a bit of a sweet tooth and he does <laughs> like a lot of junk food as well, which actually yeah. perhaps maybe not so good if <laughs> we're talking about long-term health. Um, but to fortify his food, I, I mean, I could easily just offer him biscuits and he'd happily sure. eat like a packet of biscuits himself. Um, and you know that that goes to show that there's a bit of difference for Definitely. different Chinese dads. <laughs> um, um, but would you have been open to drinking things like supplement oh, drinks? Like, would you yes. happily sat there with an ensure knowing that you know it will help <laughs> so him put on weight? Uh, my dad did um, try some. It was a no way. It was a no go. Like it was just, it was just so. He just didn't like it. It was even if you're, I suppose. 
like because when you when you taste it for me it's kind of like it's a little bit of a milkshake but because my dad doesn't have a sweet sweet tooth um it was just it was just really difficult to get him to take it um so yeah we kind of gave up on that I mean I mean he would but, but what he would do actually now is he will be able to drink a glass of milk you know whole milk um I can't fortify it with cream um I I have a feeling I haven't tried but I have a feeling that he will not take it with cream um so but he will at least like have um you know glass of whole milk though so that's something um so you know it's it's hard when you're trying to do something and also on top of that you've got to do a bit of a behavioral change with family um which you know it's it's actually quite hard to make that work sometimes on your own family uh, yeah um at least at least we got to the point that he is having um glass of whole milk so that's something but it's about finding that compromise isn't it we know what's going to be high calorie we know what's going to be you know high in protein um but it's finding the ones that's going to work for him um and often milk tends to be quite a good go-to because it's quite a basic form of um and a very nourishing drink and you know like you said it could work better than a milkshake and much more palatable and what he's used to yeah. probably less sweet as well um which if he doesn't have a sweet tooth mm. that could work quite well yeah. um, but I'm glad that you know dad has managed to put weight um over time and hopefully you know as a mm. recovery process happens as well you know the appetite naturally comes back as well yeah. which is nice to hear I think just moving on to our last part there because we did mention that we'd touch on a little bit about our Chinese culture um, and a bit about mm. cooking, as we mentioned a little bit as well. Um, it would be good to have some of our listeners here in the, the common types of foods that we eat. Um, and actually, probably the most recent celebration yes. that we've had as well is Chinese New yes. Year. Happy Oxy Year! <laughs> so this is obviously my... Um my British side coming off. So um, I said, um, I did actually say to a colleague of ours um, early on, because someone said to me, oh, what year is it? And I said, cow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, actually, that doesn't come out right. Because, oh, no, it's ox. Yeah, normally we would have that celebration um, in, uh, uh, you know, seeing our families. And, of course, during yeah. the pandemic, that's been really limited. Um, but yeah, I mean, just for, for listeners, yeah. I mean, for our take of Chinese New Year yeah. and what we usually do, um, usually it happens mm. kind of in the February yeah. time or end of January time is our Lunar yeah. New Year or Chinese New Year, as we might say. Um, it's technically when we would start uh, sure. our calendar, if that makes sense, uh, and switching mm. over to the Ox Year. And Cherry, um, how have you so, celebrated oh, this, this year? year was, it was a little bit strange, actually, this year. So because of the distance, like the distancing and everything like that, we kind of, because obviously we're part of the, uh, each other's support bubble, right? Um, so what we did was we actually went to a Chinese supermarket and bought a load of Chinese takeaway. But it was like a good, nice sort of Chinese takeaway. Um, and um, we basically took back home. Um, under normal circumstances though you know you'd um, get together um, as a family you cook a proper um, sort of Chinese new year meal um, obviously there's going to be you know um, there's going to be traditional foods that's like cooked foods um, that you'll have uh, but usually I think the components of it there will be something that has like a fish dish um, I think I celebrate in very selected rituals that my family does um but the meals definitely there if anything um 
we have vegetarian yeah. meals um, as yeah. around the New Year's Day. Um, but definitely people also eat, you know, like you said, mention of seafoods and um, fish is definitely a very good dish as well to celebrate um, because the fish yeah. in Chinese means, yeah. you know, good luck, luck as well, doesn't it? Or um, good health as well. Um, and New Year's is all about yeah. fresh start, you know, prosperous, lucky, um, you know, being healthy. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all about that. And it's quite a spread out yeah. celebration of like seven days. Um, and, you know, during those seven days, you would take down old decorations of the house. Um, so we do have like, you might see in Chinese household as well, you know, stuck up red decorations yeah. that have upside down luck figures and good luck phrasings, good health phrasings. On. Um, and actually in my family, we kind of burn those um, during the New Year's sure. as a form of like yeah. burning away the bad luck that we've had for a fresh sure. new start. And we stick up new things um, for the New Year's. Um, and as a special thing that we did do, um, mm. I think we've been less, so now, uh, I don't know if you're doing the same as well, but kind of bathing in pomelo yeah. leaves. Yeah, very, very traditional. Uh, but I find it really fun. This is my opportunity to have a bath once a year, okay? <laughs> Normally, I, not, not, not to say oh, I don't yeah. shower or anything. I shower yeah. most of the, every, every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I have a bath once a year. It's a very Asian thing because we're trying to sure. save on water. Yeah. <laughs> we bathe once a year um, and we use these leaves yes. and these yeah. are meant again for cleansing um, and yeah. making sure that we're washing away again the bad luck ready for New Year's. And actually you're not allowed to wash your hair that day because yeah. you're keeping in the luck that once you've washed it, you keep the luck it's very in, um, which is a very yeah, interesting one. I think um, actually you're right because um, obviously there are particular dates isn't it across Chinese New Year where before Chinese New Year there's a date that you pretty much clean uh, or declutter um, your old stuff mm. um, so essentially you know I think that I believe the idea is that once you do that you are preparing your your home uh, for yourself to be ready to um, to greet the luck for the new year so then and afterwards you know new years happen and then you have um a lot of a lot of foods a lot of um sort of celebratory foods etc um and then um and at the same time on that particular day this is uh, talking a little bit more about the sort of chinese new year culture really um you know you've got to wear, wear red you know because that can bring you luck um and yes. prosperity and things um and yep. then i and then i think afterwards then from that from that point on that day you're supposed to kind of go to your elders um you know to kind of give greetings um for chinese new year and mm. and in return what they'll do then they'll give you these red pockets full of money right yeah so that that again is Ooh, there i think it's pockets. giving you luck um and um and then i think um mm. afterwards then you know chinese new year I may be wrong, but it, it kind of lasts, yeah, it, it lasts about maybe a week or two. And in between that time, that's where you go. You know, obviously, we, we can't do that during pandemic now. But um, the norm is that then you go to your relatives, um, you know, to basically give them your greetings for Chinese New Year. Uh, and, and then likewise, then they might, you know, give mm. you a red pocket um, or something like that. So, um, 
that's kind of last the, the whole kind of celebration period that's what you're supposed to do i think i mean we didn't we so my you know my my family's not um we never we haven't really carried over all that tradition um actually including the pomelo um skin so i know i know some people definitely have because um i know my other half's um, family um gives me pomelo uh, for chinese new year <laughs> so um and, and i and i like it so but i don't i don't bathe in it though um just because i, I don't it's the leaves, not the actual pomelo, though. And it's it's leaves then. Um, I'm sure it's probably pretty good for the skin. I'm, I suspect because of the vitamin C and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I guess like, yeah, I just never kind of thought about putting it in. But but yeah, but I think that the traditional way is like you said is to kind of get rid of the dirty stuff on you. Um, to keep the new new good luck. Um, Absolutely. So. Um, I'm trying to kind of think about um, other things that kind of traditional things that people kind of say. Oh, and also, I don't know about you, Songha, whether, you know, they talk about having new clothes, like, especially like, um, this is kind of maybe a mm. bit more Hong Kong um, thing. Um, because so one of the things that I heard about was, um, you know, you also want to have new trousers because the the word of the trousers in Chinese um has the same sound as wealth so if you have obviously that again is playing on the sound of it um so when people get new trousers um, yeah. yeah or wear new trousers um so it's a it's quite it's all quite interesting and, and on top of that actually there's another thing that um every time I, I guess this is where i also i get the atmosphere of chinese new year is um um you know there there's going to be there'll there'll be people that talks about um predictions depending on on your chinese zodiac you know for the year in terms of your for the rest of the mm. year um in terms of your life yeah. in terms of your health in terms of different aspects of it so there's these people who talks about it you know um and and i i remember like you know growing up you know we might you know we're not superstitious but i think it's it's something that's quite interesting um that you kind of just listen to it because it's kind of the norm because it's Chinese New Year. That's on, you know. You kind of just listen to it anyway. So, um, so that kind of gives me, reminds me, or gives me the sort of Chinese New Year feeling. We also had, um, just trying to think. We also had, in terms of food wise, we had something like um, the gluttonous uh, rice cakes for, and also yes. turnip um, cake. So, yes. yeah. are you talking about something called lean goal? So yes, it's gluttonous rice powder with like yeah, traditionally with red beans as well, isn't it? Um, again, Cherry, I think that correct me if I'm wrong, but as right. also a play on words, uh, lean god. So year uh, higher, um, as in like um, yeah, yeah. So having a, a better year again, and they yes. are very starchy, very gooey. Very yeah. yummy, and cool. I cannot eat a lot of it. But, yeah. Um, you fry it as well, and um, after you've kind of prayed with it, um, and oh my goodness, yeah, it's very chewy, mm. very sticky, and very sweet. Yeah, mm, unfortunately, yeah, but, couldn't get hold of any this year. The but the essence of it, though, I think, really is kind of you know being together with a family if you can, um, and I think it's. It is a little bit like you know when people say Christmas was cancelled last year. Kind of Chinese New Year is a bit like it feels like a bit like that this year as well. Um, but 
but yeah you kind of make what you mm. what you do mm. what you can really um yeah what's kind of trying to do year really mm. I mean we're still in China definitely. year technically if you're thinking about the the sort of two weeks I think um I think if it's finishing next next week otherwise <laughs> we're listeners it's just be mindful that we we're a little bit we're kind of semi-Chinese really aren't we <laughs> But it does represent, like, mm-hmm. how the generation is, you know, of, yeah. like, uh, Chinese people living in England at the moment. Um, they, they, yes. We get some exposure, perhaps not the yeah. full exposure, and, and some people might yeah. do, um, but it's a little bit of a glimpse, I think, uh, into what it is. Um, and just kind of, like, moving towards sort of the things you mentioned as well, putting mm-hmm. Chinese New Year aside just to give a glimpse as well as our sort of diets. You already mentioned that, you know, if... Yeah. You know, we are uh, a little bit more westernized, definitely, um, yeah. for thinking about maybe our parents or something. Usually the breakfast, I feel, I think it's definitely still quite westernized. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, cereal, you know, toast, breads, you know, things um, quite, you know, generic in terms of like breakfast that we have. And I think it's mainly mm. cooked meals, like you mentioned, for lunch and dinner, um, which usually would yeah. be the rice as being mm. a main um like jasmine rice and then we would have side dishes um and side dishes tend to be you know vegetables yeah. or um fish meats mm. mostly stir fried or steamed um yeah. tend to be our sort of main ways of cooking things um i don't know you know, if you have anything to sort of put to that in terms of flavouring, I suppose like in, in Chinese New Year, I think there's a lot of the foods there. It tends to be quite um, high in energy, pretty dense in it, just because of the preparation um, with the sauces, with the mm. oil that you use. Um, they tend to be quite rich. For for yeah. Hong Kong, anyways, I mean, China is massive, and there's so many different regions of it as well. Mm. Uh, and it does blend in with a bit of Malaysian, a bit of like other parts of Asia. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the ways we use spices are different as well. I think basing on, you know, very simple, mm. you know, Hong Kong cuisines that my parents cooked. Um, a lot of it relies on stir frying, like I mentioned. So you would use your typical oils and also mm. the, you know, oyster sauces, soy sauces, mm. um, all very savory yeah. flavors, umami flavors, as we might say. And, and mm. if um, you're cooking a little bit more advanced, you might make something um, mm. of like a very yeah. thick sauce base yes. that might yeah. coat vegetables. And this involves cornstarch um, as, mm. as well as like the, the sauces that I've mentioned. Yes. Um, and it makes kind of like a thicker sauce. It coats mm. a lot of the foods and it makes it taste savory. Um, those are the sort of little more indulgent yeah. ways of, I suppose, stir frying. That's what my dad did. Um, and he works in a restaurant. So a lot of his foods are very heavy. So all the foods that we do have cooked by him um mm. uh, yeah very flavored very very savory and salty in fact chinese diet can be quite pretty unhealthy actually because even um you know when we cook chicken and things like that um you know we don't we, we actually don't take the skin off do we somehow like in terms of chinese you have the skin right um you know and when you have like for example crispy duck and things like that you have you have the skin you know those things a lot of things like um with chinese food is actually can be very 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 like heavy um, as well so um but obviously likewise you know mm. you can um you know in terms of adapting it as well you can also adapt that so 
um, you know, I think I think definitely my mom has adapted in terms of like the sauce and things, things like that. You know, I think one of the things that cornstarch is almost a bit of a staple um, because just because of the sauces thicken it, and I think that's just one of the sort of cultural things that we we use really in terms of thickening sauce so that it coats it. Um, and I I know that over the time though, maybe also the influence of me being a dietitian, um, you know, it could be that. But I know that in terms of her cooking, in terms of the salt that she adds, you know, all of that, she has kind of reduced it quite a bit. Um, but definitely, I think, you know, if not, um, it's not a surprise that, you know, with foods that we have a lot of salt in it in terms of Chinese diet. Yeah, definitely. In that point anyway, it's like, in terms of making it healthier, yes, you can use a less of a saucy base um using less salt as you said um and yeah. definitely lots of room to bulk out vegetables um so you could definitely increase that yeah. um and opting for smaller portions of rice and you know i think sometimes uh, i think people are quite receptive to changing it to you know having like red rice brown mm. rice you know um black rice even if you have mm. access to that as an alternative to white yeah. rice um, mm. In the past, what I've noticed is that some of the vegetables and things like that's cooked. A lot of times it can be overcooked, so it's very, very soft and soggy. Um, whereas actually, um, it may be better or even more bulking, you know, in terms of filling wise, when it's was not, you know, cooked to not necessarily to the to the extent of mush, but you know, have a bit of substance or a bit more structure to still the vegetables, um, not overcooked um that's another thing as well so mm. yeah and I don't know about you yeah. because um I remember um back home um we often did used to when I was younger we often did used to eat quite late um as well so dinner might be uh, I mean compared to how I eat now mm. but dinner can be maybe about half seven eight o'clock um so that that's another thing as well like um I suppose culturally a lot of people do tend to have it could be having it at that time as well you can you can essentially I mean depending on whether whether there is any need for any dietary changes but you can potentially move that a little bit earlier yeah I think it's worth asking anyways whoever you're talking to who your patient is just ask you know their routine uh, similar to what you were doing in assessment um but yeah bearing in yeah. mind that the food fortification techniques might not work necessarily um in culture and it might be just mixing up a little bit about you know maybe if you want a food fortifier or nutrition support yeah. eating less vegetables bulking out of the carbohydrates for example mm. opting more for you know fattier meats I know not the healthiest but I know yeah. the focus would be on you know increasing calories mm. at this point um would be a good way to go um so yeah I, know, I appreciate we're running out of time and mm. we Definitely can't cover everything here, but just a bit of a glimpse there of what it might be. Um, of course, if you've got any questions or anything like that, you're welcome to ping it our way. Um, you can get in touch with um, Cherry herself um, or myself um, to talk a little bit more about Chinese culture um, if you wanted to, or if there's anything that sparked an interest in the conversation today. Um, but thank you so thank much, you for Cherry, uh, for coming on today. You know, you don't really have these conversations at all in terms of Chinese culture or Chinese foods, etc. You don't really um, get the opportunity to kind of share really on your day to day. So I think, um, you know, this podcast has been hopefully, you know, listeners have found it quite interesting and useful to see it, um, see a bit of a, a side to Chinese sort of culture and foods wise. And also, obviously, in terms of 
um, our background as well and how um, and the things that we've come across um, from our side. So, yeah, so thank you. Thank you for having me to be able to share that. Thank you. All right. Affected by any of the issues heard on this podcast today or want to be a better ally or support, search Diverse Dietitian Support Group UK on Facebook and look out for further social media from us. Stay healthy, friends. Thank you.